This is Enrico Imanalo, DEI Consultant, Conflict Management Practitioner, and Diverity PBC's Community Engagement Lead, and host of the DEI Is podcast, the show where we explore what DEI is through the perspectives of DEI professionals, produced by Diverity PBC, which matches independent people and culture experts, like DEI consultants, with the organizations seeking them. In this episode, we're talking to Tara Robertson, an intersectional feminist who uses data and research to advocate for equality and inclusion. Tara joined us on June 8th. 2022 to explore the theme of moving DEI efforts past checkbox exercises. And to do that, we dug into the topic of accountability. If you like this episode, please subscribe, like, and share. If you really love it, leave us a review. Don't forget to follow us on social media. For all our links, head to our link tree. That's linktree slash diverity, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash D-I-V-E-R-I-T-Y. Stay tuned. DEI is Accountability with Tara Robertson starts now. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is our very, very first episode of the DEI is podcast, which is produced by Diverity PBC. Um, here with me today is our very special guest, Tara Robertson, uh, and we're here today to talk about accountability. So no matter what flavor of consulting, accountability is more than a buzzword. It's what reputations rest on, what success is built upon, and frankly, how progress is made. Why then is accountability such a bear to wrestle with, not just for consultants, but for our clients as well? This is especially true for many clients who see that getting better at DEI isn't simply a business fad, but something that has real potential not only to improve their bottom lines, but to transform the way that we navigate the social sphere. So once again, here today on our first ever episode of DEI Is, is Tara Robertson, who is also one of Diverity PBC's advisor. Uh, she is also principal of Tara Robertson Consulting, Inc., which provides assessment, strategy, and implementation, coaching, and speaking. So glad to have you here, Tara. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. And, you know, it's been a long road to get here, but thank you so much for, for sticking with us and making this happen. And thank you when I lost my voice when we were supposed to first record this. Thank you for being so, like, understanding and gracious. No, of course. And uh, just to check in on that, how are you? How is your recovery going? I'm fine. I had COVID probably about six weeks ago. It was mild, but like it really, really took my energy. And then a couple of weeks later, I lost my voice and I've yeah. never had that happen. And both of us for work, we do a lot of talking. So it was, it was really disabling, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talk about the kind of figurative loss of voice a lot, and to actually physically do it is also often kind of a, a wake-up call, right? Um, and so just to make sure that we kind of uh, we um, drive the point home, I guess, um, I know that things are opening up, but please, everybody, remember, we are still in a pandemic. And so the best way that we can take care of each other is also by taking care of ourselves. So let's continue to be safe. And, you know, while we do have medications that can help us out, if we do get COVID, as Tara is saying, it, it does not sound like something that you want to be getting. Absolutely not. It really sucks. 
All right. So, uh, Tara, we're, we're talking about accountability today. And if you could kind of lay the foundation for us, what exactly is accountability when it comes to DEI efforts? And how is that different from responsibility? Ooh. Um, accountability is like, did we, did we achieve what we said we wanted to achieve? Did, did I do the thing I said I was going to do? So I think it can work both on the consultant side and on the client side. When I partner with a company, um, getting clear on what the goals are, um, first of all, what the strategy is, what the goals are, who's going to do the work, um, how we know we've got there, and who's ultimately accountable. I think that that's really important. Um, often DEI efforts are or sometimes other DEI efforts kind of get put as an optional piece, like where you've got a volunteer committee running things and there, there's no clear goals articulated and th there's no one accountable. Um, so with other business goals, like if we're producing a product or we're trying to hit certain marketing goals or financial revenue goals, one of the executive team is accountable. Like if, they hit the goal or exceed it, like they're recognized for it. They're often compensated for it. Yeah. And on the flip side, if they miss the goal, they put up their hand and say, that's my miss. Like mm -hmm. we're going to figure out why we didn't achieve that goal. And there's often like, if you keep missing your goals, um, like you, you won't have a job for very long. So I think thinking about DEI with the same kind of rigor and, seriousness that we think about all of our our goals and organizations is really important yeah i mean it really brings to mind um that concept in sociology of diffusion of responsibility right so uh very famously um you know i i, I believe her name was kitty genovese or Jevargese, something like that but a woman was murdered in broad daylight and people saw it and they did nothing because of this phenomenon, diffusion of responsibility. So everybody saw it, but assumed that somebody else would take the lead on stopping it and no one did, right? And so we can kind of see that if we don't have somebody who can accept accountability for efforts, then everybody can easily shrug their shoulders and say, well, I bet somebody is gonna step up and do this, which is not always the case. Right. And so if we are being responsible for getting people to to push behind diversity efforts, then we have to we have to use what we know about the human brain, which, uh, of course, is often contradictory and complex. But uh, that's us. Right. Um, yeah. I also think things are complicated and people are really busy. Like, I don't know yeah. anyone who's like, oh, I have lots of time these days. And organizations have really like audacious goals and yeah. are getting after them. So when you're working cross-functionally as well, it's really important to know like who's the owner here? Like where, where does the buck stop? Who is ultimately accountable? Like who who's involved in what what capacity? But being clear about those things, especially when you're working cross-functionally, is super important. 
Yeah. Clarity. And we know is that. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. And communication is hard, but this is this is the game we're playing, right? So uh, to turn to you, our audience, quickly, what is one thing you would like everyone to know about accountability when it comes to DEI? So maybe you're a consultant yourself, maybe you're in an organization or an embedded role, but uh, everybody's got a perspective on this. And I think it's going to be very helpful if we can if we can tap into that collective wisdom and knowledge. All right. So um, what would you say are the ingredients of accountability, particularly when it comes to making real progress on DEI efforts within organizations? And I know that clients are often asking me, like, because they get stuck, right? People get stuck and they say, how can, how can we get traction back? How can we keep making progress even when it's tricky or difficult or, or whatever? Um, as an example, like a, a lot of organizations want to be more diverse. So it's like, first of all, defining what that means. Like, are we looking at women in tech roles? Are we looking at racial diversity? Are we looking at age diversity? Are we looking at representation of people with disabilities? Like, what do we mean by diverse? What do we mean by diversity? Um, understanding where you're at right now. Um, so kind of doing that baseline assessment. Um, so for the diversity example, like who's here right now? Who works here? And looking at that data and understanding that. And then understanding like who are we hiring, but also who's leaving. Mm. Um, if you're hiring a certain demographic, but people are leaving um, faster than you're hiring them, you're not going to shift things. Actually, they're going to mm. get worse. So mm. people quickly think about hiring, but often don't think about the retention piece. And then understanding what the goal is. Like, is our goal to be representative of the industry that we're working in? Is it to be representative of the general population where our users are? Is it something else? Like getting really clear about those things and having measurable goals. Like, so we're starting say, I don't know, 20% women. Um, in our industry, 30% women is, is like the, the representation of women in, in our industry. So like, what's our plan to increase 10%? Um, but if it's like, to think of our users, like maybe 51% of our users are women and that's what we're going for. Like, so getting clear about what that is. Yeah, I mean, to your point, a lot of time, and you mentioned audacious goals. So sometimes we, or I end up working with organizations, they have these goals. It's like, okay, great. Let's, let's capture this energy. How do we get there? Um, you know, let's drill down to specifics and you get these blank looks like specifics. What do you mean? Like, can't we just like generally make things better? Like we need specific pathways and mechanisms to make that all happen, you know? Um, but the other thing that I really liked about what you were saying is, uh, and we're talking about organizations, right? But these dynamics also map to the individual, right? So it's really important for the individual to know themselves, to know what they're working with, what the goals are, what the clear steps are going to be. The reason being, if the individuals that comprise an organization don't know those things, then how can the organization know those things, right? Because, you know, that's what you need that that penetration of knowledge and awareness. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. Um, so from your experience, why is it that, uh, you know, and 
of course, all organizations are different. Groups of people are all different. But uh, why is it that organization A might have great accountability measures for DEI work, while organization B might have mostly things like calendar celebrations, diversity statements, and other kinds of outward-facing window dressing, sometimes people call it. But, uh, you know, I guess what I'm getting at here is a lot of organizational leaders have gone through similar educational and professional experiences. So why is there this kind of like unevenness that uh, I've, I've observed? That's a great question. Um, I have two answers. I'm like, which one do I give? Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll give the, the, the more complex one first and then I'll give my off the cuff one. Um, there's different models about maturity of DEI efforts. Um, so for me, when I hear an organization has measurable goals or executive, executive compensation or bonuses are tied in part to the DEI goals, um, when organizations publish their data um, and are, have a degree of transparency about where, what their efforts are, what their goals are, and how they're doing, um, I, those organizations are further along and more mature in their DEI kind of journeys. Mm. When I hear about organizations that are just celebrating Pride Month or Black History Month or Women's History Month, but aren't looking at, are our benefits trans inclusive? What is the promotion rate of Black women in our organization? Yeah. And um, what are we doing to support caregivers um, in the pandemic who are pr predominantly women, then I'm like, you know, like you're less far on in your DEI journey and you haven't yet start to, started to dig down to those substantive systems level things that need to change. Hmm. Um, my, my kind of, when I hear that as well, I'm like, organization A really cares about this and is, willing to do the work and organization B is kind of looking for shortcuts. So yeah. that's my skeptical view. Um, my more optimistic view is that organization B hasn't kind of done the, the, the tough question about asking themselves why, why they're doing this and yeah. what that means and kind of making that long-term investment. Um, Cause it's, I don't think in our lives we're going to be done this work, but no. there are different layers that we can go down and look at. Um, yeah, definitely. And so uh, I know sometimes when we're deep in the work, it can be discouraging, right? It, it can be hard because uh, it's hard to zoom out and see the, the full picture, right? And so um, one question that I want to ask to our audience is, when you're feeling frustrated or discouraged while trying to support clients and being accountable for their DEI work, how do you deal with it, right? I think there's a lot of ways that we could deal with it, but I'm really curious to learn from our audience how, because I think getting a sense, you know, to your point earlier, getting a sense of what we're working with as a DEI community of professionals, I think that that can also help us to, uh, to support one another in, in furthering the work with our clients. Um, so to turn now to our next question. Uh, on the practitioner side of things, we often get some form of the question, how are we going to know that what the consultant, trainer, practitioner, etc. did worked? 
Um, and as new consultants, we often have some idea of how to put together surveys that help us to understand employee engagement or maybe a mix of qualitative and quantitative data to give us some insight. But even with that experience, we can be left wondering. So what's, what's your answer to that question, Tara? I think it's really important to be clear about what the problem is you're trying to solve. And when I get a, a lot of potential clients contacting me, asking me, can you come in and do unconscious bias training? And my question back to them is like, how do you know that that's the problem? Like, yeah. um, because like there was one organization where we surveyed and found that people of color weren't getting really actionable feedback from their managers. So in, in that case, it's not really a case of unconscious bias that we need to train on. It's like a training on giving good, actionable, detailed feedback and layering in the equity piece and making sure that if you're managing people who are different from you, either their gender is different, their race is different, they have a different educational background, that you're also being rigorous and making sure that you're giving them actionable feedback too so that they can grow. Um, so the piece is like, what problem are we trying to solve? Um, how do you know that that's the problem? So like, where, where's, what's the evidence? Yeah. Um, and I've also seen organizations over-rotate on a couple of, you know, pissed off staff people who have legit complaints um, but they're going to solve for like a 700 person organization based on three people who are really upset. And sometimes um, their concerns are like, those are the things we need to solve for. And other times um, they're definitely problems, but maybe not the, the first problems that need to be addressed. So I think using data to understand both like, how people are feeling through employee engagement surveys and segmenting them by different demographics and doing that in an intersectional way is really important to understand sentiment. It's not gonna tell you why, but it's gonna highlight areas where there's gaps. Um, and then like the, the earlier example, like if you're trying to shift representation and you have an attrition issue where your, your culture sucks or is toxic or is unfair and, or inequi inequitable and people are leaving, like you need to address that. Yeah. It's not just about what job board do I post on to get diverse candidates. Um, and I hate that phrase, diverse candidates. <laughs> yeah, right. A person singular cannot be diverse, but anyways. <laughs> that was a bit of a rant. Did I answer your question? <laughs> I mean, I think so, yeah. I mean, so what I, I heard you saying is that in order to correctly identify what is going on, we are going to have to look at a variety of things and have to be open to that complexity because if we're not, then we're just not going to be able to get a read on it. I mean, is that, I think that's what you're saying. Is that right? Yeah. And then when, once you've looked at those things, have some hypothesis about what needs to happen and test those either with your client, with executives, test them with, um, focus groups in the organization be really clear about what you're trying to fix um, yeah and then you can assess your efforts like did that work or not instead of going oh we were kind of messy and trying to do five things at once not sure if we did any of them like having some clarity and intention there yeah and you know for me something that I always come back to is that concept of looped learning 
right? So for those who are unfamiliar, uh, it's like you you come up with your hypothesis and you put it into action and then you're looking through your findings and then you have to ask that reflective question. Like, hey, did this work as well for us as we thought it was going to or do we need to kind of adjust things and maybe give it another go? And in doing that, what people will quickly find is we move closer and closer and closer to getting it right. The frustrating thing is we might never get it 100% right, but that's not the point, right? Because again, these are moving targets. So if we're not adapting in the moment to meet the situation, then of course things are going to get away from us. Uh, and that can be tedious sometimes it can be frustrating but uh, I, I think it's deeply necessary because if we have this idea that we can check something off and move on with our lives that's when we get into real trouble i know that idea but i didn't know the the term looped learning oh that's Thanks. the the phrase that that i'm familiar with i don't know if it's called something else but uh yeah for anybody else um that's something that you can type into google scholar and get a whole bunch of hits <laughs> Uh, one of the authors that's uh, responsible for that is a guy named Argyris. Argyris, I don't know, but uh, I will I will drop that into the comments after the after the show for sure. Um, Ooh, thanks. Yeah, of course. So, uh, just kind of curious here, but what advice might you give to consultants and practitioners whose clients were very happy at the end of the contract, but since then, and despite measures being taken to determine and establish accountability, things might have gone awry, either reverting to the way things were or else transforming into something other than what was hoped for? That's a hard thing about, <laughs> that's the, the hard thing about being a consultant, like, um, they're like they're as a as an external expert, your voice carries more weight than if you were internal often. So like there's a pro, but also kind of a great responsibility there. But also you're you're not around for the implementation often. Um, which can be tough. Like I think most of us want who are doing this work want to make sure that we're making like lasting impact. Mm -hmm. I know that's really important for me. I don't have control. Um, well, I like I, I I don't have any input once my engagement's over with with an organization. Some people we've kept in touch, um, but the thing for me then as a consultant, and this has been some hard learning for me, is to be really discerning about the kinds of people that I want to partner with. Mm -hmm. um, I. I care deeply about this work and I want to make a difference and I want to make a lasting difference. So I'm getting better at um, using my spidey senses, asking powerful questions to discern if a client is a good fit for me. Yeah. I feel like that point about fit is so important and already like sometimes our, our timelines are, um, how to say, well, uh, sometimes we get uh, this idea that we have to finish things by a certain time and uh, that's just not possible. So I think what you're saying is very worth keeping in mind for sure. Um, Can I loop back to accountability? Because like, yeah, this is, I, we talked about it from the, the client side, but as a practitioner, um, 
I, if I say I'm here for systemic change and I continue to partner with people who aren't, like there's a misalignment there. And my reputation and my integrity starts to kind of get eroded. And yeah. people say, oh, like you, you say you're about this, but the work you do out in the world isn't actually making that impact. So I think there's a tough piece as consultants. Um, and it's really scary to say to a client, no, I don't think we're a fit. Um, yeah. But it's important, I think, if an organization wants to partner with you on like, what's the best, what are the best three celebration events for this year? And you want to do lasting work that is going to change systems. Um, it's different work. So there's, there's a misalignment yeah. there. So it's hard and can be scary, but I think we, we owe it. We have our own integrity and like accountability to say no. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to do that long-term thinking when you've got bills staring you in the face, when you are trying to keep the lights on, when you're trying to keep your team paid. But, uh, you know, talking, if we're kind of meditating on that idea of fit, I think we all know what it's like to get a, a pair of shoes that fit poorly, right? They might look great on our feet and everything, but we're walking around in them. And before too long, we notice that our stride is actually changing. And so uh, that can have real long-term impacts. Um, but yeah, it's already very difficult to, to get through the RFP process, which is common to our field, and then to stretch it out even further by determining, are we actually a good fit now that we've determined that maybe we are people that can work together? That can be frustrating, but as you say, deeply, deeply necessary for us to, to consider as we're moving forward, if we want to maintain our integrity. So yeah, a, a very salient point for sure. Uh, my, my question to the audience now is what would one clear indicator be that client organizations have what they need to succeed in their DEI efforts? And so, you know, if you're watching Ooh, but you're from question. an organization or you're a consultant yourself, I'd love to, uh, to tap into your perspective here. And I don't know. Is, is that sparking something for you, Tara? I'm just, I, the clients that I like where it's been like a yes. And like, I still look back and I feel chills. Like there has been alignment. There's been resources. Um, it's definitely been like co-design where I'm bringing the subject matter expertise that I have and they're bringing their expertise about the business. And we're meeting in the middle to figure out some things that are new. Um, I love that. And I also love like, when people are excited and willing to commit time to doing this work. Um, people, everyone's really busy, but if you, and people in the organization, if they're not allocating time to make the change, to be involved in these things, like stuff's not gonna happen. Um, yeah. We allocate time and money to things that we think are important. So if you're doing neither, yet saying DEI is very important here, I'm going to say, like, try not to swear. I'm going to say that's not really true. Yeah. Thank you for that. And we, we've also got a comment coming in here. So um, mm. 
the willing and this was in response to the audience question like the willingness to say i don't know and i want to work on it both explicitly and otherwise i love that and i'm so sorry i'm not sure how to pronounce your name correctly so i won't i won't try to read it out loud but uh this is one of the uh, consultants from the Diverity Network. So thank you so much for joining this discussion and for your contribution. You have um, a response for, for this comment or uh, some, some thoughts? Oh, it resonates with me, like the both explicitly and otherwise. Yeah, and you got to trust your spidey senses in your gut sometimes. Like there was one client I said no to, and on paper, a lot of the things were great. And I just came out of each of our meetings like not feeling good and like not feeling respected and feeling a little gaslit and i was like oh like it was a really hard contract to turn down oh. um and i'm really glad i did it because it, it, if that's how we're starting off together like it's not going to be a good partnership nice yeah yeah absolutely we've got a, a follow-up uh, we often forget that a huge part of the population is between, quote, performative and, quote, strong advocate plus know what to do. Not all who are, are taking obvious actions equal performative slash disinterested. I think that's an important point to add here for sure. For sure. So I, know I think we, our role yeah. as, as consultants is to meet people where they are and yeah. help them move forward. So. I'm happy, like, if, if people on that journey need to take a break, they need a water break, they need a snack, they need to sit down for a moment. But if you've hired me to come in and help you move your organization, like, we got to keep moving. Right, um, yeah. So yeah. I think that's what, uh, one of the things that resonated in that comment. For sure. Uh, we only have a, a couple moments left here. So uh, to close out, I would like to ask, one last question, which is from your perspective, what can DEI consultants and clients be doing to improve that provider client relationship on the whole? And one of the reasons for Diverity existing is that there's a, there are very real equity issues in that consulting client relationship, which you know, are, are often skewed toward the, uh, the client rather than the consultant. So, um, you know, this is one of the things that we're really hoping to address through uh, the diversity platform and community. It's tough for, on the, the organization side, like you often don't know exactly what kind of help you're looking for. And like, I, I personally hate the RFP process and I won't do it. Um, I've had people reach out to me and say, we'd love to partner with you here. Please fill out this 20 page um, application. And it's like, no, like that, that doesn't, <laughs> I don't have time for that one. And two, I really believe in co-design. So we're going to need to work on these things together. Um, so just trying to, again, if you are going with an RFP, I think the research that Minson did around having budget in there and having a clear timeline um, is important because otherwise you're just asking people to sort of write plans about who knows what like <laughs> right yeah yeah absolutely well unfortunately that is our time tara and thank you so so much for joining us and making this happen um any kind of final thoughts as we close out here this was a lot of fun thank you for hosting this conversation and thanks to people who tuned in um yeah have a great right. wednesday
Yeah, thank you so much, everybody. Uh, just a couple things before we end here. On uh, June 30th, if you are a part of the Diverity Consultant Network, then I am going to be leading a, uh, leading a community event, which is called Accountability, Intentional Friendships for Collective Care. So that accountability theme is really coming through. Uh, so if you are part of our network or would like to join, well, then you can follow this link that I am um, having scroll across the bottom now. Uh, so you can join us at bit.ly slash join Diverity to see if Diverity is the community that you are looking for, assuming that you are a consultant. Um, another thing I'd like to mention is that next time, that is in two weeks, we will actually be going live with another one of Diverity PBC's advisors. That is Valerie Williams. And uh, we don't have a title yet for that, but uh, we will announce that as soon as we are able. And of course, if you are looking for help with moving the ball forward in your DEI efforts, then Tara Robertson is a fantastic person to ask. And she, of course, is once again, the principal of Tara Robertson Consulting, Inc. Um, anything you'd like to plug here, Tara? Um, I'm doing more coaching and... I want to help women of color in corporate spaces go from being underestimated and overworked to unapologetic and wildly successful. So even if you're an individual in an organization or a leader who wants that kind of help, um, hit me up. That is super cool. And I, I wish I was a woman, but uh, I'm happy being a man. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, everybody. This was the very first episode of DEI is. My name is Enrico Imanalo, and I will see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hey, Enrico here. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, it would really help us if you could subscribe, like, and share, and if you could leave us a review. For all our links, including our website, social media, and if you'd like to join our consultant network or if you're an organization that would like to join our beta, head to our link tree. That's linktree slash diverity, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash D-I-V-E-R-I-T-Y. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in a couple of weeks with another episode of DEI is this time featuring Valerie Williams, founder and managing partner of Converge. Follow us on social media to see when we'll be recording live so you can jump in on the conversation. See you soon.